0: My name is Jenna. There are a lot of things about me that I can't tell you. My last name, for example, or my address. I live in a podcast world. I wish I didn't, but I do. And I have no choice but to read, to locate, and to record, even while I am desperately trying to tell the truth. 24, The Suspicion, uh, this is Fandalite, the weekly Animorphs podcast where Brent and I read and talk about Animorphs. Hey, y'all. This book is number 24, The Suspicion. Cassie discovers a toy spaceship attached to the blue box's hiding spot, only it's a real spaceship full of tiny aliens known as Helmicrons. They get shrunk down to extreme miniature size, roughly a sixteenth of an inch, and captured. Cassie and Marco discover the Helmicrons can scan for morphing energy and that they need the Blue Box as a power source to conquer the world. Cassie convinces the Helmicrons that Visor Three has the Blue Box and the ships attack and miniaturize him and some controllers. Cassie has Axe, who is not shrunk, drop them off at... Uh, An anteater enclosure, which they acquire and use to more full size because that DNA hasn't been shrunk down to like all the DNA in their bodies. They hold a bunch of Helmicrons captive on anteater tongues and get everyone back to full size before sending the Helmicrons off to commit gender based civil war. So do you think K.A. had a hard deadline for this book and kept putting it off? And that's why we got the book that we did?
1: This ...is literally the last book before the ghostwritten ones start, and I had to double-check like three times on Seropedia to make sure that this book itself was not ghostwritten. Let me just start off by saying I hate the Helmicrons, and I hate this book, and now that I've read it, I kind of hate myself.
0: (laughs) A pretty grim condemnation for Book 24, The Suspicion. Um... Can we just address the title real quick? Because it just now occurred to me that that title doesn't make even a little bit of sense.
1: Yeah, it's a complete non sequitur.
0: It's absolutely nothing to do with this book, which really reinforces my idea that she kept putting off writing this book, and it came down to the deadline. And Scholastic was like, well, we need a name. And she's like, "I just say the suspicion that could apply to literally any book.
1: I wonder if she didn't have like a like a stockpile of just Words that sounded good after the and when she couldn't come up with a title, just like picked one at random.
0: I wonder if she didn't have an entirely different book planned and Scholastic came to her and was like, wow, so you just wrote like a bunch of real fucked up downers. Could you not? And she was like, <laughs> um, okay. And then this is what we got.
1: Man, that might explain why she was so focused on Everworld uh, at this point.
0: Oh, cause, yeah, because I think Everworld's a lot more... It's an older age range. It was a whole
1: series of fucked up downers.
0: Yeah, I never read them because I was a, a diehard Animorphs and I was really angry that K.A. stopped writing the Animorphs to write that series. So I, I think I read like one of the books and was like, I feel like Animorphs better.
1: Uh, see, I, I read the first one and got a real boss like soundtrack that, yeah. that came with it at Barnes & Noble uh with like vast and stained and um i don't know just good good stuff
0: i had the soundtrack too which i'm confused at how or why
1: it really informed a lot of my musical taste for uh a bit afterwards it was a good soundtrack and i was not i was not mad at ka because i had no involvement in like the online animorphs fan community at the time so i had no idea Um, until shortly before we started this podcast that there even were ghostwritten books.
0: Whoa, that's, I envy that innocence, Brent.
1: I know you took it from me and now I can never get it back.
0: Hmm, I'm not sorry I took it from you.
1: Yeah, nor should you be, I don't deserve it.
0: (laughs) So Brent, tell me your feelings on this book.
1: I mean, I think I already did in no uncertain terms. Uh, I mean, there's a little bit, there's a little bit we can tease uh, out of this book that's interesting, but like primarily it's it's like two 90s cartoon stock plots smashed together. It's the one with the real tiny aliens and the the one episode where they get shrunk and they're yeah. kind of smashed together. And it makes me wonder when the book where the Animorphs use their powers to help a feckless classmate say no to drugs will come up.
0: <laughs> I hope that is an episode. And I hope instead of drugs, it's maple ginger oatmeal.
1: Uh, right, I might, I, I might actually like that.
0: <laughs> this book reminded me most of like a 1960s B movie sci fi, where it was cheaply made and kind of slapped together, and the aliens are mostly paper mache helmets, and it's all like a really early green screen. And there's a part where Ax is a wolf spider, but he's a regular sized wolf spider and Cassie and Marco and Tobias are shrunk down. And I couldn't, I just, I couldn't help but think of like that old sixties style of sci-fi where it's a, an actual wolf spider, but they've done some sort of weird perspective trick. So it looks like it's bearing down on tiny people.
1: (laughs) Yes. Oh man.
0: (laughs) Either that or like classic, like claymation stop motion animation, uh, and that oh, shit. that did make me like the book a little bit.
1: Especially the way that they described Axis movements as being all jerky.
0: Yes. Yes, that was exactly it.
1: I feel like for as, as loose as Animorphs usually is with just science in general, this one did have a particularly flimsy grasp on stuff that harkens back to that double feature B-movie type uh, uh, aesthetic.
0: I mean, there's there's definitely the use of the blue box, which they get, and then use to shrink people because DNA?
1: <sighs> yeah, yeah, you, you just, you shrink the DNA, but then some of the DNA is normal sized, and when you get smaller, you get faster, everybody else moves slower relative to you, <laughs> because reasons, question marks. Yeah,
0: and you get proportionately strong- I, the one thing I liked about that conversation is that it, it was the first time I felt like these teenagers were like teenagers, because sometimes they make references to world history or stuff that I definitely didn't know when I was their age. And it makes me feel like the public school system <laughs> failed me. But this time I was right along there with them being like, yeah, I guess you can pick up boulders because they're just dirt and you're tiny, but your strength is proportionally tiny, but your muscles are stronger. Yeah, flimsy is being generous. <laughs> I, would, I would say just, like, because it's not even hand-wavy. It's just not addressed.
1: Yeah, yeah, just, just, you're thinking about it. Don't think about it.
0: Yeah, there's a part, okay, there's a part where they're one-sixteenth of an inch tall as humans, and then they... Sh- morph into flies which are dispro are are proportionally small to that 116th of an inch human and Ka gives us some math but uh, we neither of us read that math
1: <laughs> my eyes kept sliding over it every time I just I looked at it and all I it just the page literally reformed itself to read bullshit 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 <laughs> bullshit instead of whatever it was supposed to be
0: yeah but they they morph down to flies and can see cells cuz they're so small i thought for sure that was going to end with them like just walking through a cell and getting on the other side of the spaceship or something <laughs> you don't, you don't. <laughs> you don't you don't like that? Uh. <laughs> there are a lot of moments in this book where everything should have gone wrong. They they shouldn't I don't they shouldn't have been able to survive this cuz they are 1/16th of an inch and the fact that anybody can ever find them
1: is crazy. I'm still really confused about why K.A. went out of her way to make Tobias also 1 16th of an inch because I guess the aliens set it to that size so it shrinks you to that no matter how big you were to begin with so Tobias is like the size of them as 1 16th of an inch people presumably if he morphed a fly it would be bigger than the flies that they morphed the whole thing is just Unnecessary.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't seem to have like a ton of, I mean, here's the thing is that there's a lot of weird fidgety people riding on people and uh, of various sizes. And I couldn't keep track of any of it because they all got shrunk to like different relative sizes. And I just couldn't be bothered to keep a scale in my mind of how, how big they were relative to each other.
1: I mean, fair warning, when you edit this episode, my audio track is going to have just like a lot of exasperated size. I'm going to leave them all in. Yeah, I please do. Capture I don't that. know if you can hear them on your side, but <laughs> please do leave all, in all of the exasperated size.
0: Uh, I will say I think that there were at the beginning and end, excluding all of the parts with the Helmicrons, I thought there was some good friendship building and like we get some good Rachel and Cassie scenes at the beginning because they go to the beach and at the end we get a little bit of Jake and Cassie romance hints uh, but all of that's <laughs> extra weird because they just went through like four books worth of real bad trauma that they are extremely ignoring
1: I mean I I did appreciate that we finally got some Cassie and Marco hijinks oh yeah because we've been wanting that forever yes I mean, they had, some good, they had some good back and forth on the Helmicron ship.
0: Yeah, I like that uh, when the Helmicrons demanded that they grovel, and Marco's like, we have different cultural groveling standards, and his form of groveling is to like lay on his back with his hands behind his head and his eyes closed, just sort of m- murmuring weird stuff. And Cassie, and he's trying to get Cassie to play along, and Cassie's like, "I yeah, y'all are great. You're doing you're doing a great job, Helmicrons.
1: I'm groveling harder than I've ever groveled before. This
0: is my best grovel. Uh, and then in between all of that, there's just everything with the Helmicrons.
1: Uh, I got. I mean, like, for real, I was tired of reading the little Helmicron log entries before the chapters, uh, before I even finished reading the first one, but I got real tired of reading them by the end of the book.
0: Well, the fact that you kept reading them is uh, better than I did, because about halfway through, I was like, okay, I get the gist.
1: The Helmicrons remind me a little of the Katang from Star Control 3. Uh, don't. At me, I know nobody likes Star Control 3 except me, everybody thinks is the best, but uh, those Muppets rule, haters, sorry. (laughs) Anyway, they remind me a little of the Katang because they have that same bombastic, um, just always grandiose, cease cease your doing whatever and acknowledge that we are the best. Uh, And I think that's how I made it through them. Uh, They're less charming than the Katang, though, I think, and the Katang got old, even in Star Control 3.
0: I mean, I feel like this is actually a pretty common trope, because I think there's there's an Adventure Time episode as well, where there are tiny conquerors who demand to be taken seriously, except that they're very cute. Uh, And even that was, I love Adventure Time, but that got old pretty quickly. And those episodes are only 15 minutes long.
1: Were the tiny conquerors in Adventure Time also led by dead people?
0: No, 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 but I'm so glad you brought that up, because that's so unnecessary. It is
1: very weird and alien. It's sort of like, on its own, that would be an interesting thing to throw into a race, but the Helmicrons are just such a fucking grab bag of alien traits written on Scrabble tiles and pulled out (laughs) at random.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because they've also got a... a, uh... That thing that also happens in a lot of sci-fi, uh, not movies, but a lot of sci-fi TV shows that are entering like their fifth or sixth season and things are starting <laughs> to wind down where the commanders are all women and the subservience. uh servant class is all dudes, and Marco leads them on an uprising kind of, but just sort of ends in a civil war. It's cer- it's the kind of weird, tired, gender, nonsensory that I associate with with bad sci-fi. I
1: sort of give it a little bit of a pass on just the weird fucked up gendered content here because it was the late 90s. But even for that period, like, you're right. It's it's no death by Snoo Snoo. It's it's very much just yeah. Like, like that's an example of it being parody and funny.
0: Yes. There's also a Sliders episode where they go to I think it's like, yeah, Sliders episode where they go to an alternate reality where uh, I mean, it's this trope. Only one of the dudes is like. I'm going to run for mayor and I'm going to change this world because men are being oppressed and that's the worst. And then they leave it and he never mentions it again, even though hypothetically he's now aware that what it feels like to be oppressed for women, but like it never actually changes him. He gets really upset that men are oppressed, but does not give a shit that women are oppressed. It's like that kind of trope.
1: Was that before or after Sliders got unwatchably bad?
0: I mean, when did it get unwatchably bad for couple episodes in? <laughs>
1: uh, I was thinking like third or fourth season. I don't remember. When did they introduce the cro I don't remember. This is a different fucking podcast right now. That's how little there is <laughs> to this book that we now have a podcast about sliders inside of our podcast about anamorphs. And our podcast about anamorphs is not a long podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're about probably about Uh, 18 minutes in or so depending on how many cuts I make I am so low on things to say about this book Brent oh okay no wait let's talk about the anteater thing
1: oh wow so okay when I first read that I wrote down a note that said couldn't they just have acquired and morphed axe if they needed regular size DNA the fact that I just said regular size DNA out loud makes me very sad (laughs) And then, like, the next page, it was like, oh, because K.A. Applegate wants to take the whole eating and being eaten horror <laughs> subtext, not even subtext, the, the the thread of eating and being eaten horror that runs through the Animorphs novels, just take it to a whole weird new level.
0: Yeah, Cassie says something like, uh, I've got an idea this is the best animal to fight the Helmicrons, but that's not what it is, Cassie. You're not fighting the Helmicrons with an anteater. You're just getting them all up on your gooey, sticky tongue and rolling them up in your mouth and starting to chew on them. And then and then something, 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 they don't actually die something?
1: There's a subcategory uh, of vor fandom that's very into the idea of being shrank and then consumed, right?
0: Okay, yeah, I think so. That sounds likely.
1: Do you think that K Applegate was just like ticking off fetishes that she's creating with her books like she was just like well i need to i need to rule 36 that one
0: <laughs> i like that see what i was thinking is that she really wanted them to morph ant eaters because she like thinks they're cool and then had to work backwards from that so if you have if you have to have them morph anteaters, what can you have them fight something tiny and then that was the brainstorming she did for the two months leading up to the deadline. And then the night before, she was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I've really got to get this one out.
1: All right. Yours seems way more likely because the, the Cassie anteater morph did, I think, end up being a Taco Bell uh, children's meal toy.
0: Oh, God, was it? That sounds amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like a little a little Cassie anteater transformer, I think. I might. That sounds dope I as I might hell. have dreamed that. I might have dreamed that. <laughs>
0: um, is there is there anything else here, Brent? God,
1: um, so there's there's a little bit at the beginning, right? Like I before the book had made it obvious that it was going to be an exhausting slog to finish <laughs> at its whole fucking hundred and fifty pages or whatever. Th- there was a pull quote at the very beginning that I I just reacted to with like yikes where Cassie describes the Yerks basically as as a disease. Mm. She says it would be fascinating studying their evolution like it would be fascinating studying cholera or typhoid and like like three or four books ago in the main series Cassie was very much uh yerks are people too get into my head Yerk. uh let's let's reform you. So I I don't know that just it
0: Actually, you meant, you pointed out something earlier, too, and I'm going to string these two thoughts together because we've got a lot of time we've got to fill. <laughs> so you pointed out that this book also says that the Yerks infiltrated the Taxons, which is different from every other book that mentions the Taxons because the Taxons are willing hosts. They're not forced into being, that, and that doesn't mean that they weren't infiltrated, But it does seem weird that Cassie would say that because we don't really know the background of their takeover. All they all Cassie knows is that they are willing hosts. So, again, I think maybe just not enough time to fact check because it was got to had to ship it overnight to get it into the deadline.
1: (laughs) Just like like cranking this thing out as fast as possible on a handful of Adderall and some Jack Daniels.
0: Yeah, crushing another cigarette in the into the uh side of the typewriter as she speeds along.
1: Ah, oh, like how I wrote all of my articles as a stringer when I worked at the Alestal.
0: <laughs> That's a great image. I I just got a picture of you uh in like short sleeves and a vest and a a fedora but with like with one of those cards sticking out of it.
1: <laughs> no, no.
0: You're pounding away at a type, typewriter. I've got to get this out. Got to get it to the evening evening edition.
1: It was much more me at three in the morning in undershirt and pajama pants sitting in front of my computer monitor, intermittently taking pulls from a bottle of whiskey, (laughs) saying out loud, how the fuck do I make this interesting enough to fill a hundred words?
0: Wow. So are you feeling that same thing right now?
1: Kind of, but I'm in a hotel room with no booze. So like last minute stringer deadlines for the fucking lifestyle section of the Alestal was- a better gig than this? I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say, man. I
0: don't either. Could you just keep vamping? Because again, we're only like 25 minutes in.
1: Let me tell you, co- collegiate journalists are fucking wild.
0: Yeah. Shout out
1: to all. Of, shout out to all my peeps. The totally hardcore Alestal staff karaoke club drinking whiskey for Satan till the day we die had some had some good fucking conventions there. So. Let's talk a little bit about, I guess, the the very ending of this book, uh, because it's extremely unsatisfying. Yes. Marco red pills some aliens, and, and then, like, they hear them flying off, just clashing with each other on the ship, but still somehow making the ship operate, because they're aliens who follow dead people and can't truly die, according to the Visser. And fight with swords. I, ugh. <laughs> I do have to say, the image of their captain just impaled with swords, like a fucking tarot card image, was pretty cool. Just like a bunch.
0: Just Julius Caesar on the throne.
1: But then the book just like sort of ends? Like it, it all. And this. This is part of what made me think 90s cartoon, because by the end of this book, nothing has changed and everything is back to normal. The Visser and a bunch of controllers, including Chapman, I think, got shrunk. And then by the time that they're done, they're all reinflated and everything's back to normal and nobody's figured out that they're people, despite them constantly morphing where he possibly could see them. So it, it just nothing happened in this book that changed anything except that I guess we have confirmation that they've still got the Escafille device. So all of Tobias's whinging about having to leave the Animorphs' last book was really canon unnecessary.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and not just more canon than canon unnecessary.
1: Right, like actual canon. Um, You're you're right, though. I I still... hmm. Yeah, I got nothing. All right. What's one thing that you actually liked about this book before we go out?
0: Oh, I liked that... Acts morphs human because Cassie's dad is coming to the barn and he doesn't want to be an alien when that happens. And Cassie's dad is like, uh, you're kind of weird. Where are you from? And Axe is like, um, the Republic of the Ivory Coast. Uh, without hesitation, he answers that. And Cassie's dad is like, no, that's not <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, I thought that was very funny. I
1: liked that. He insists that he's Canadese. Yes. It's wild that this book had so much slapstick bullshit in it that I almost completely forgot about Axe's slapstick bullshit.
0: There is a lot of slapstick. I mean, a lot of it's not visual comedy. It's, it's, it's word comedy. And that's good, too, because it's a book, but it's not as fun to think <laughs> about or talk about. <laughs> what was one thing you liked about this book, Brent?
1: Okay. Um, my favorite thing about The Suspicion was when Rachel had a tiny shoulder Tobias because he got shrunk. And when Cassie and Marco got out, he's just, he's still sitting there on Rachel's shoulder, even though he's like tiny Tobias. So she's got like tiny shoulder Tobias. (laughs) And that, that was what I liked about this book was tiny shoulder Tobias.
0: I like that too. It made me think of like uh, an American Eagle lapel pin that Rachel would wear. (laughs) Like if Tobias had like an American flag in his claws It would have been a perfect lapel pin.
1: Wow. a red-tailed hawk lapel pin.
0: Less patriotic, but still probably pretty fashionable. Brent, is is this the most difficult to record episode yet?
1: Yeah, I would say so. There just was not a lot to go on in this book. It just... uh, I'm hoping the next one's better.
0: I think it will, although the next one is when the ghost writing starts to happen, so... I guess we'll just have to sort of see how that how that feels. I think it'll feel weird.
1: I mean, I know that the ghostwritten books have like a reputation of being not as good, but I feel like the people remembering them as not as good do not remember Book 24 The Suspicion. <laughs> because if you have to follow a KA Applegate book, this is her setting up a softball for you to just dominate in the <laughs> next one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see, because I think I was probably one of the ones who was like, oh, the ghost written ones aren't as good, because I was just upset that K.A. left. But I, I think as an adult, I'll be able to, to divorce that a little bit more. But I mean, we'll see. <laughs> We're pretty persnickety. So if they're even a little bit different, I'm certain we'll talk about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm. I Hopefully that will be an interesting bit of conversation, some little Milgrist for us.
0: Is there, is there anything else we can wring out of this?
1: I honestly... I think that'll do it for this week.
0: Okay. Hey, thanks for joining us this week, everybody.
1: (laughs) Yeah, sorry that we're just so bitchy and negative the whole time.
0: (laughs) It's just not... There's just nothing here. There's just nothing here.
1: Yeah, it's entirely candy, but candy that makes you angry.
0: (laughs) Like a candy necklace, which always makes me a little angry because they're never as tasty as I want them to be.
1: Yeah, yeah, I could see that. That's a good description. The only people who'd be really into this book... Uh, much like a candy necklace, are out of their minds rolling on Molly.
0: <laughs> All right. Next week is book twenty-five, the extreme. Sorry. Extreme. Thank you, Brent. Exactly. <laughs>
1: I I expect next week's book to be all about Marco open palm slamming a VHS into the slot and then doing all the moves along with Vin Diesel and escaping some necro bastards. That sounds amazing. I also hope that's what that is. I I doubt it, but I I hope it is.
0: And if it is, we'll definitely talk about it. Oh, yes.
1: (laughs) Thanks again for listening. If you want to drop us a line. Our email is Fandalites at gmail.com. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at vandalites. Tumblr is Uh If you want to get the, the hottest, freshest releases of our podcast, you can get us on, on our website, vandalites.com in addition to your podcasting apparatus of choice. Thanks to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. You can find his stuff at DustinO'Dell.Bandcamp.com. It's pretty good. Check it out. Uh, Jenna, anything else before we go?
0: No, please let us- let's go.
1: Alright, until next time, remember, nostalgia is a drug. She's been living in a podcast world.
0: (laughs) I'm going to put that at the end of the episode.
1: Yes, please do. (laughs) Please do.